So here we are in um, episode eight of As the Actress Said to the Critic, with me, uh, Sarah Crompton, as the critic. And me, Nancy Carroll, as the actress. Hello. And very, very excitingly, with our second guest, um, and our first male guest, which means a very special, um, is Patrick Marber, writer, director, all-round brilliant person. Hello. <laughs> we're, we're sitting, we're, we're sort of flanking Patrick, sort of, Nancy and I are both on quite high chairs, and Patrick's in a very nice, relaxed armchair, so it's, it looks as if we're here to interrogate him in kind of some way or other. Um, and the reason for our coming together is that there is the amazingly, to me, 25th anniversary revival of Patrick's play, Closer, in which Nancy starred... In a revival. How long ago was that? Uh, seven years? It was in 2015. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so seven years ago. Yeah. Right. 17 years after it had been done before. Is that right? There was a gap of 17? Uh, yes, I think I think I hadn't wanted it done no, in no. London for a long time. Yeah. So was that where you met? Is that how you two know each other? No, we... We did that uh, workshop together at the Royal Court. That was when we first yes, worked together. That, which was a very long time ago. Yeah, um, but really interesting. Yeah, in the noughties, um, we did, we, I was doing a workshop at the Court um, called I Remember, um, which is based on a book by Joe Brainard, and I wanted to see if it could have theatrical form. And we had a brilliant group of people. Helen McCrory did it. Yeah, yeah. Trevor Peacock, June Watson, wow. uh, Dermot Crowley, Jamie Parker. Yes, wow. You're, you're very good. Did it ever have theatrical form? Did yes, it? it did. But not with, um, not with in you. In a slightly would. different way. A few years later, um, it was the Royal Court's um, uh, 50th, maybe. Yeah. Uh, in 2006. And I did an I Remember the Royal Court where a number of Royal Courty people, including Stephen Jeffries and Richard Wilson um, and Lisa Macon, who was the casting director at the time, did a, we did a sort of 45-minute show that we developed um, called I Remember the Royal Court, and it was just different people's one-line memories of the court and the shows they'd seen and the people they'd met and knew. And So it was a nice form to celebrate. Brilliant exercise, though, in terms of stream of consciousness and and, dis- and really listening. Mm. And the stories that came up, particularly, I thought that I've remembered in detail over the years, like with Trevor Peacock talking about that post-war um, humour that came out of a reaction to the war. And he talked about being at school and doing those mad, almost like Python-esque uh, Olympics. Do you remember that? I'm afraid I don't. Well, he were, they would do things like the 26-inch um, marathons and or climb up ladders on tall buildings and, and squeeze toothpaste over themselves. And it was, the, <laughs> and it was that, it was like the goons. It was that, it was sort of, it was a madness that came out of, of a reaction yes. to tragedy. And I, and, and that stayed with me for ages, but the stories, because you'd say things like, you know, remember the first time you fell in love or the first time, mm. you know, you met the person you spent your life with or just yeah. give it, a bit. Yeah. It was a lovely few days. Yeah. And, and I loved the actors for being so giving and so open about 
their lives and experience. It was good. I mean, I, I still think about it as a form, and I'm still... Um, there aren't really many places left anymore where you can explore some little idea that may lead to something or may lead to nothing. Yeah. But if it leads to anything, it's not going to lead to a commercial show. Yeah. It's going to lead to something quite odd and idiosyncratic. I mean, those days I fear are going, if not gone. It's harder, isn't it? To return to um, Closer, did that come out of um, a, a workshop was that done at the National Theatre Workshop originally as a part of its development process? The, yes, the very first workshop for Closer, I, I had about maybe 30 pages of material that I'd written. And I did a workshop at the National Theatre Studio in, I think, early 96. And I had Doug Hodge and a Chancellor, Claire Skinner, and I think Jason Isaacs were wow. my four right. um, that time round. And then, then I went and wrote the play and did another workshop in maybe November 96, uh, which had Mark Strong, Kate Beckinsale, Sally Dexter and Stephen Delane. Wowzers. And they did the first rehearsed sort of public right. reading of the play. Um, and then it got programmed to open in May of 97. Right, so how does it help you as a writer? How do workshops help writers um, develop something? Well, I, I love the conversation with the actors. Um, do you believe this? Could you say this? Have you th ever felt this? Especially with something as intimate as Closer. Yeah. You needed to feel that um, the actors would would buy it because it's quite an extreme play um, and their reassurance that they'd had conversations of this nature yeah. at dreadful times in their lives gave gave me hope yeah. that I wasn't writing something that was so personal as to be alienating um, so it was the the honesty and the contribution of those two sets of companies yeah it was very very important in its development but more just hearing the play i'm i'm a writer who likes rhythm and music uh in the way i write and um hearing it out loud and hearing whether the music works is very very important and as nancy will know having worked on closer once you've got the the rhythm of it, mm. um, it's sort of more important than any of the other excavating work you need to do because, um, I don't know, it's it's a peculiar play. But it, but it's it, what I remember having a rehearsal with you and David and the four of us. And you so it was David Laveau, wasn't David it? It was your director of your version, yeah. Yeah, it was Oliver Chris and Rufus Sewell, and and we. Uh, we were sort of, you know, working out what it was, I think, still, but you brilliantly said you can't perform it. You sort of have to just exist and, and sort of be emotionally naked in that way. And, and so it was a complete exercise in relinquishing, um, I think, 
previously used tools in that way and also being completely honest and particularly on the on the Donmar as well I think which demands honesty as a space um and also an exercise in trust you know between the four of you it is that sort of extraordinary quartet that you keep that ball in the air together yeah it's I think it's a really difficult play to act um more difficult than any other than anything else I've ever written, actually. Because it's exposing or because it's... Why, um, in what way do you think it's difficult? Well, because I send, I send characters... I think because of its structure, because it's, it's 12 scenes and there are big time jumps between some of them. And quite often a scene begins with a character wanting one thing and coming out wanting a completely different thing. Um, so there's a lot of twisting and turning within a seven, eight, nine minute yeah, scene, yeah. Um, and it's quite ho- it's quite slippery to get hold of what exactly is your purpose in every scene because your purpose changes because of the scene. So each scene is like a little tiny play in itself, yeah. and then stringing them together, I think, is really hard. Um, it's, yeah. It requires a lot of energy from the company and they they have to really trust each other and get on with each other. I mean, it works yeah. when, they, when they all love each other. Yeah. Um, but if there's tension within a company, it's almost unperformable. Yeah. Uh, but your company were lovely and you all got on really well, I felt. Yeah, no, we really did. And I think, but it was, I can remember the sort of moments in rehearsal where... where you sort of we we you have that sort of revelation you can't communicate it exactly but you sort of feel that I'm going to have to excavate deeper I'm going to have mm-hmm. to expose more of myself and it was really interesting as well you know I think of that first week that uh, both you and David and and all of us sat around and we all had to admit when we'd um been unfaithful or had been the you know the, the had been in a relationship in which somebody had left and all that sort of stuff so there was a lot of truth telling and you know sometimes within any company and the experience of putting on a show that sort of stuff comes out anyway as you get to know each other and because you have to mm-hmm. you know perform intimate relationships very very quickly in a lot of stories but with closer particularly it was essential that we all had knowledge of each other's experiences of that because it was going to come out it's like ripping off you know ripping off plasters and we it you know that sort of stuff is is quite skin deep often and and um, i remember that first week and i remember it was very useful when either david or i said okay hands up if you've ever been unfaithful and everyone's hands went up (laughs) yeah and so then there was a sort of shit. Okay, so we all know what it is yes, to betray and yeah, to cheat. Yeah. yeah, and that was very helpful. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and then hands up if someone's ever betrayed you, and everyone's hands went yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we all knew knew those feelings. Um, as as does everyone, pretty much. I would have yes. thought, um, unless you've been really lucky or yeah. I, I think that's why I wanted. <laughs> I think that's why I want to talk about Closer because I think that it is a... I, I've seen it as every time it's been on and I think one of the things I like about it is that though it's 
kind of very specific and it, it, it is a very formal structure when um, I was I was reading it over the weekend and it is such a, a you know a formal thing there are four people um, a, a, an obituaries editor um, a doctor a photographer and um, a stripper essentially or, or, I think or of her as a waitress a waitress see, okay she, she's a former stripper former stripper in not really, very many clothes but really <laughs> she's, she's a waitress yeah and and through there shifting relationships and the the ties that bind and separate them you get this whole picture of sort of um uh desire really slippery nature of desire and what an incredible effect it has on human relationships and i think that's why it's um and everybody doesn't behave quite how they think they're going to behave in any circumstance and i think that's the kind of incredible truthfulness of the play that that really um resounds and that makes you um kind of keep coming back to it really as as a play i want to ask one specific question which you don't have to answer but i was when i was um what so i worked on the telegraph and the telegraph had an incredibly glamorous young-ish obituaries editor at the time and there was always a strong rumor that he was part of the inspiration for um the character of dad in the play is, is this true you don't have to tell me but i've always wondered well, I had a friend called Aurea Carpenter, who I think worked at the Telegraph. Yes, she did. And she was my source right. for um, what they got up to in obituaries. Yeah. And I think she might have asked that person, um, there's a playwright who wants to know some of right. the slang. I mean, she definitely gave me who's on the slab yeah. and the deep freeze being the... Being the drawers of the, uh, old obits, where, yeah. where all the obituaries of the um, still living are. <laughs> yes. um, uh, and I was, yes, I was fascinated by what she told me. So, so yes, it's definitely the source is the Telegraph, okay. but I never knew the name of the. Okay. Can you reveal the name? I of could this glamorous obituary. He was very glamorous. I'm not sure I should reveal his right. name, but he was very glamorous and and um, slightly dangerous actually. And he always. And, and quite like Clive Owen, in, um, in, in who was the original cast, wasn't yes. he? And, and so in many ways, I think that may be added to the... Yeah, no, well, he's I now never... a very respectable figure, so I feel I shouldn't highly right. reveal. Okay. But, but they, they, it was interesting, because Telegraph at that time, Tangent, had, had this kind of very good obituaries department, which, which was brilliant, oddly, at bringing... Um, people back to life i mean that you did yeah. feel as you read the obituary of you know colonel bufton tufton yeah. that you knew who he was well, and i yes, think that I that's the, one of the interesting things yeah, about I got the euphemisms from yeah. um the telegraph that the way the telegraph coded an opinion or a an assertion about someone um i found fascinating so so it was definitely my friend Aurea, who who got me that right. intel, and yeah. she logically would have got it from, got it from the glamorous figure. The glamorous figure. But I think, but, the, but your words are just, I think, such a testament, you know, to the brilliance of it in terms of they're, they're timeless and the and the raw quality of uh, of all that those relationships and how people connect and disconnect, you know, in the in the way that you that we do. I my experience was that 
people responded to it with equal rawness, which is a testament to its brilliance as a play. And that some of the reactions that we got, both from young audiences when the Donmar invited sort of young schools audiences, but also when we did Q&As with, with um, you know, audiences post-show, I can remember some of the things that people said and you sort of think, my God, this is... These reactions are visceral. Yeah, you know, it's nothing intellectual about. I this. know it's an offensive play. But it, but it wasn't. Well, it wasn't though. But it was. It was one woman who I just remember. Who got really cross with me, who said, "You can't love two people at the same time equally." You know, that's lying. Yes. You're lying. And I, I, I thought, well, uh, I, I'm not. And uh, you know, it, but she was. It was. It, it, she was sort of untapped. It yeah. was really interesting. But it threatens. It threatens the Christian foundation. <laughs> that, that uh, that's marriage, why it's offensive. That yeah. marriage and devotion is is built on that it's um, monogamous, yeah, and that yeah. we love one person, and that we fall in love with one person, and that's it. Um, and yeah, the play is it's upsetting. It upset me to write it. Really, it okay. still upsets me to an extent because um, it's sort of. Sort of boots love up the bot. Yeah, yeah. And so it yeah. goes. Come on, it's. But it's the boxing match element of yeah. relationships that I. But but it's tangible. We've you know we've been there. You know what it's like when it. Mm. So I don't. I don't. Well, I haven't been there for a terribly long time. No. Thank goodness. No, we're, a, we're all we're all sitting been married here. nearly twenty years. But <laughs> we're all sitting here as happily married people but, there but talking like, a play about. Well, we think we're happily married. Oh no! no. no. <laughs> terrible! Terrible! That's terrible. the thing, isn't it? <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's a it's a play written by a young man. I was. Yeah, well, that I was going to say that. So what, when I wrote it, and I'm fifty-seven now. Yeah, it's very different. Um, I inhabit a very different landscape to the play. Yeah. Um, some of the characters were older than me uh, when I wrote it, and now yes. I'm older than all of them probably put together. <laughs> why? Why? What was the the impulse to write in the first? Was there a sort of? Well, I mean, I know that's kind know, of it's a, a, it's it's a, a kind of journalistic thing because, play because um, it is generally assumed of writers, I think, particularly playwrights, perhaps that life presents you with a play, but sometimes actually plays present you with a play. Right. And the the theatre background to Writing Closer was that I'd done a version of Miss Julie called After Miss Julie mm. in the uh, September, October 1995. I went up for it. Did you? Yeah. Oh. oh. No, no, I mean, is it? No, <laughs> oh, it's privilege. It was privilege. Um, um, I wrote that. Um, so I, my head was in a tangled love story when I wrote that. And then soon after that, I directed Craig Rain's version of Racine's Andromac. Um, she's called 1953. Directed that at the Almeida, um, which again is a a tangled love story yeah. with a very formal uh, structure, just like Closer. And so the writing and directing of, of After Miss Julie and the directing of 1953 absolutely informed this play that came along that, that 
started getting written in the summer of 1996. Right. And um, the spark of the play, I've said many times, was uh, a lap dance club in Atlanta, Georgia, where Dealer's Choice was on tour. It was called Cheetahs, this place. <laughs> and the Dealer's Choice company insisted I join them on this visit to this lap dance club, which which didn't exist in the UK at the time. The idea of a strip joint that was sort of upmarket and classy, uh, you know, our, the, the English version of that at the time was, you know, some poor woman in a in a pub and a yeah. beer glass being passed around, um, and here was this thing that was completely different. And I was very interested in the the power dynamic between the men gawping and looking. I being one of them, not allowed to touch yeah. these goddesses. Um, and I thought, what the hell is going on here? This is there's something potent in this and I you know playwrights are mad what did I do I, I left the club early to go and write the scene that became <laughs> scene seven in the play because I had to get it down yeah and as a playwright you know if you have to get it down you're onto something yeah because it won't um so I wrote the scene and it was a the characters were called a and b um, but that was the beginning of the play, and the scene is right in the middle of the play. Um, and I worked my way forwards and backwards from that scene. It's interesting, the play, coming to it 25 years on, is that actually at the time it was very prescient about quite a lot of things. It was absolutely riding the curve of something that was happening because not only um, lap dancing clubs, which really, I mean, I remember them sort of arriving and... In, in and and changing the landscapes not that I went to them but also um the internet so yeah. th there's actually when you first write when it was first on you had to almost explain um that you know old-fashioned computers and um and the idea of being in an internet chat room where you could pretend to be somebody else and have a sexual conversation where one a man's pretending to be a woman, which, of course, is incredibly funny in the play. But actually, at the time, was also quite new, wasn't it? I mean, I don't really remember yeah, that, knowing much about that. It was incomprehensible to, I would say, more than 50% yeah. of the audience. The, the younger people in the audience knew what it was. We projected the words onto the back wall of the then Cottesloe Theatre. And as soon as the guys started typing, they were... The younger people were sort of amazed. Oh, we do this. Um, they knew what it was, but the anyone over 30 had no idea what they were looking at. Yeah. Um, and, of course, that scene, that scene that was so modern is now ancient. And, in fact, the way we're doing it at the Lyric Hammersmith is slightly different. But I don't want to spoil what right. what we're doing. But it's a it's a variant on what what I originally did. Yeah. When when Nancy's cast came in, did you look at it again? Because there had been quite a long pause before that revival. I mean, how much do you go back into a play when you're oh, when I it's always, been revived? I always tinker a bit and make cuts and offer up the odd new line because I want the new company, the incoming company, to feel 
that it's still fresh and alive. Um, but also for my own pleasure, really, uh, if something can be slightly improved with a with a trim or a little addition or, you know, sometimes a cut because a thing is out of date. Nancy's character, Anna, uh, muses about this new thing called the internet um, uh, in scene four of the of the play. But I've had to sort of slightly rewrite that. Not that she's not still musing about this new fangled thing called the internet. But in the original version of the play, she was having to sort of explain what it was. Right. Whereas now that's redundant. Yeah. Um, so you, you, you trim with time. Well, we did that a bit, didn't we, in rehearsals? Because yeah. everything had, had... I mean, 97 is so interesting. I was going out with a guy at the time who did a project for Yell... And they were fighting that. So literally overnight, the internet was growing at such a rate that they had uh, a cutoff point that they wouldn't be able to get the entire contents of the yellow pages onto this particular platform if they didn't get all the information in by a certain point, because you know beyond that deadline, it would just be too massive. So the so ninety seven in my head is literally jumping off a cliff yes in terms of that was the beginning of absolutely everything and so then when we did it you know there was a there was a real sort of statistic that huge proportions of of happily married people had met on the internet yes you know and so that shift was a massive thing but it still it didn't make it any less relevant it was just changing the language around it and mm. and i think that's still you know there's still a thing now that even more so for you know our kids generation that the fraudulent misrepresentation of people on you know dating sites or whatever you say i'm gary cooper or somebody marvelous yeah. and you turn up and you're you're um you know who's the guy that uh fred yeah. uh anyway uh who then went into phantom of the opera Who's the guy? Fr uh, Frank Spencer. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Michael Crawford. <laughs> Michael Crawford. In not that Michael Crawford isn't beautiful, but I yeah. just mean he's not but necessarily... But his character that. wasn't. Yeah, 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 exactly. exactly. His character Frank wasn't Spencer. necessarily... Yeah, the, the, the core of the scene is still the same, that, that man impersonating woman for sexual kicks yeah. um, and turning on other man who thinks he's talking to... Yeah. Um, ...liberated... Uh, woman is it just kind of it's as old as the hills it's, yeah um it's a brilliant scene I mean that's the other thing about Close Rep I mean it's both sort of devastatingly good at sort of uh, Susanna Clapp said um, uh, showing you know falling in and out of love um, in a devastating way and, 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 and the kind of fizz of that but also it's incredibly funny as a play I mean that's it's, it's kind yeah, of quality yeah it's definitely a comedy yeah um, it, but, but yeah there's, it, that's its um, form and genre. Um, it's trying to do a few other bits and pieces, but in the end, it. Well, I was going to say nobody dies, but actually that's not true. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> entirely true. But it's not a tragedy. Yeah. Though in a funny way, when I was reading it again, I thought, I've always felt this is a play. I mean, I know it's a play about love and desire, but I've always felt it is a play about death. I mean, you know, there's a, there's a bit of me that has always found that the most kind of, um, yeah, yeah it's kind of driving force in it, yeah, actually. You're absolutely right. Well, it's about Eros and Thanatos, Yeah, really. It's about love and death. Um, 
and death is used quite often by the obituarist um, to, to seduce Anna. We are going to die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he, yes, he invites her to a hot date to come to his father's funeral. Um, and death is everywhere in the play. Yeah, yeah. It's, it is a death-obsessed place, but all my plays are death-obsessed <laughs> plays. And the um, sort of petty more element of... Absolutely. Extreme pleasure. Yeah. 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 How did you feel, Nancy, doing it when... Because the other great quality... Um, I, I, I always remember Nancy's performance of Great Fondness because this is my bad parenting story that um, I was obsessed with... Um, kind of getting well both my children into theatre and be you know kind of comfortable in theatre and I took um my younger son who he thinks was about 14 at the time um to watch it and there was in the internet chat scene there was a point where he turned to me and he said and in what world mum is this an appropriate play for someone (laughs) of my age but then actually actually in fairness you mean he was and and that kind of distracted me while I was watching it so I do remember I wasn't reviewing this performance I hasten to add I was just watching it for pure pleasure I do remember that slightly at the back of my mind but one of the the other qualities of it is that each character is so sort of fully rounded and that it has got two incredibly sort of powerful women in it still quite rare in drama and um, an older woman I mean how was that for you coming into well I think it's anything any element of sort of undressing emotionally or or literally in, in a show you have to go through a period where you feel entirely exposed and actually quite ugly and question whether or not you're the right person for the job and once you get through that tunnel it's quite empowering while you're in it it's not very much fun but I definitely had that in rehearsal and I sort of brought it to David Laveau a couple of times and he was sort of you're you're mad please go away but I but I was trying to be honest in those moments where you're slightly imploding because you're sort of trying to just get the muscles that you need to 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 do the show um so ultimately it was a it was an empowering experience but you it takes quite a lot of something chutzpah whatever to to stand in the middle of a stage and go I believe myself to be desirable to these extraordinary men and they're both Ollie and Rufus both beautiful and extraordinary and brilliant and so to stand on that stage and go yeah, okay, I can do that. I can take this on. Uh, took a bit of um, psychological acrobatics, but it, you know, you, should, you get there, and then you the audience reaction becomes the entity that drives you forward. And we had this wonderful, wonderful uh, matinee with a sort of uh, local school that came, and I think it. I, I mean, I can't speak for Rufus, but the scene just before the interval where, where mm. both couples simultaneously split up and then um, Anna and... Um, Larry. Larry, sorry, uh, are left for that for last couple of moments. And then he's really sort of going for the jugular, literally. And, and there, initially there was the sort of teenage response of staying on your phone for the first part of it and then they, they that brilliant moment where you know they've all put down their phones and they're listening and there was one girl in the in the front row who was like oh my god she, she was reacting but she was like oh god it was like each blow was happening to her and then when Rufus said you know what does his cum taste like and I said it tastes like you but it's sweeter and she was like boom <laughs> <laughs> 
she um, was it was just yeah. oh god and so it was that empowerment the, 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 the fact, i'm gonna remember that i'm gonna bloody use it yeah. and so it was that and we both came off stage thinking god that was amazing it was it was proper it was proper old school audience heckling but in the most glorious way that you know you we'd all gone through that together that we got to a point where we could you know there was so much love and trust and and yeah but we could really attack each other and 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 then to then have that reaction was was just glorious so it was just it was it was like you know training for a sports event really the the rehearsal process was the training and then hopefully we got to a point where we were match fit and then we were just going for it so you it was a you know sweat it was proper yeah, sweat you, and it was reminded lovely. me of when i was a student um some students put on a, a Howard Brenton play that I don't think has ever been revived. A play called Sore Throats. Right. Which was a really brutal play about a couple. Right. Um, and just that that feeling of being sat there holding your breath and think, this is... R- I'm, I'm shocked. I'm really shocked. Yeah, yeah. I must read it again. It was wonderful. Yeah. Um, I wonder whether it would shock me now, but... My 20-year-old self was truly shocked by the rawness of feeling yeah. in this play, yeah, which yeah. is different from being offended or insulted or appalled by gore or blood or something. Yes, yes. But to be... Which I think was one of the things I wanted to do with this play, was to um, shock people at just how how much someone might feel which seems to me the essence of what plays are up to or drama Mm. is or theatre was or could be or should be um, that it's a place where feeling of such intensity is expressed um, that the audience experience a kind of awe a shock and awe yeah, and um, that's what you're after. Yeah, yeah, and as a viewer, I think it is um, it is fascinating how how you kind of root for a different outcome each mm. time. That that it, if it's working in a theatre closer, um, you 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 kind of sitting there rooting for it, it 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 to turn and people not to say hurtful things or do things that will. Um, uh, maybe damage the relationship, or maybe you want them to damage the relationship, but you're really rooting for yeah. for something to happen yes. that is not on the page. And I think that's its, it's kind of great vitality. I think that's why it sort of took off. So I, I, I love a happy ending as much as the next person, and I <laughs> long for that when I see the play, yeah. which I very occasionally do. Um I'm thinking, oh, I hope it's got a happy ending. <laughs> I, I, hope, I hope they all figure it out and it all kind of works out. Um, yeah, it's like but, you have but that. But the thing that's very survive. difficult with it is, is the casting of it. It's very, very difficult because it's like being a, some kind of dating agency. You have to create... Every relationship in the play needs to be compatible. That every coupling, and everyone couples with everyone has to kind of make sense and work. And for you to be, as an audience, to root for that couple, think, yeah, they're good together. Those two, now they've found each other. That makes sense. And so you've got to have four actors who all seem 
to operate in with the same kind of um what would be the word gorgeousness temperature temperature and gorgeousness and openness it's a particular kind of chemistry you need which is very hard to acquire but you know it when you see it yeah um, does it make a difference to you i mean when you saw nancy's um version do do, does, do you see it in different lights with different um actors and also it occurs to me that you directed the first one didn't you mm-hmm. so you directed the original i directed it endlessly um i did i think five productions of it in total with different companies and was very um not bored by it by the end but so i couldn't wait to get out by the end um it took it took over two years of my life um great experience i mean i'm not begrudging having a hit but it was exhausting right and mm, you always worry out oh, is this iteration as good as the last iteration and so on it's 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 very particular so did david's product david laveau's direction make did you see it differently i mean when you when you did go and see it did it and you were in the rehearsals for that weren't you a bit a so. bit um I can't remember how much. I saw definitely saw some run-throughs at the end. You were there for and the first... First week, definitely. Yeah, and then you let us sort of... Yeah. Um, I really loved that production. I mean, it, I was very nervous before that production because it was the first proper revival in England um, since the original one, and I, I was worried that the play wouldn't work anymore or that the... I don't know. Um, that your fraternity maternity the critical yes, the critical fraternity yeah that yeah. everyone would come back and go well, what was all the fuss about but actually um people still generally approved of the play um and i guess that's why we've got another bite at it this time oh, around yeah, uh, right. with the lyric hammersmith which is a revival quite close to i mean it's seven years later so i'm very grateful for it um i think uh, did I learn anything new? No, I, no, I was too nervous. Really, I right. just you just you just admire someone's performance. You just go, oh, Nancy's done that different to how anyone else has ever done it. It's great that I love the way she's playing that. Or Rufus has done this. Ollie's done this. Rachel's done this. They, every actor brings themselves and their their own particular talent, and you you find out new things. Susanna Clapp said that you artfully made the manipulative look like candor in your performance which i thought was quite a good critical oh, oh, me yes oh really oh yeah oh see, so, i don't think that's fair because i don't think anna's manipulative <laughs> i think it's the weirdest note but and i might have said it to you but it's it's really not helpful but i think anna nancy's character behaves out of character the entire play which is to say everything that happens is not in her nature. Right. To happen. She's a good egg. Yeah. She's the faithful type. But Ra- I thought what Rachel River did was, was so glorious as well. You know, I think it was... We had lots of conversations about, you know, the, the what I think what we were representing and also wanting to, as much as, as, as anyone, any performance can sort of control outcome, which it can't really at all, but at least, 
you know, find the vulnerability, what they like about each other, because there's, you know, there's so much, the four of them, because it is such a combative space, I think, on stage, you know, finding the warmth and joy, because it is, it's all there and the wit's all there and just finding that balance, you know, um, and that wonderful scene where they meet in the gallery and have the, you know, the conversations yeah. is, is, was just such fun to pay because that was the only time we were, it was just the sort of yes. the two yes, of us. Yes, the women turn out to quite like each other, as do the men. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah which is interesting. And, uh, yeah. I mean, the, but she was brilliant. I loved working with her. Yeah, it's a, it's a very bleak play in one respect, in that in the end it's saying this is never going to work, men and women. This is not really... Yeah. Um, it's too difficult. It's too complicated. But, you know, I was I was a kid. Yeah. Is yeah. there... Is there sorry. No, oh. I was going to say that it was interesting that I think you said something in rehearsals about when it first opened at the National and it was the critics ultimately that gave the audience permission to laugh. Yes. Because of that rawness. Yeah. And that, that as a body, you know, that the press said, actually, this is... This is, you know, a really, really funny play, and then, and then they were yes. like, "Oh, we can feel all this trauma and laugh at the same time." Yes, it was very quiet the first three or four performances, right. and then gradually the actors. I think we got about seven previews at the national. By about preview four or five, they were getting laughs and feeding off those, and oh, and it all lightened a bit. Perhaps I directed it too darkly. I think I was a bit worried. Um, in rehearsals that people would think it was a romantic comedy, which it is to an extent. I mean, yeah. there's lots of rom-com elements in it. And so I think I'd, I'd, I'd trodden a bit on the laughs, but I encouraged the actors in previews to, to get laughs. Um, but, but Nancy's right. There was something about the critics coming and saying, oh, it's a bit like Private Lives. Yeah. That allowed the audience to laugh even more. Yes. Yeah, Charles Spencer, who was my critic at the time uh, uh, on The Telegraph, I mean, he loved it. I remember him loving it. And he, yeah, he compared it to Coward, I think. Yeah. It was one of his great reviews where he understood it, I think, you know, He really did. He was, he was a great supporter of the play and he wrote one of the nicest things ever about the play. He said it gets, it, it gets down to what Yeats calls the foul rag and bone shop of the heart yeah Ooh. and i love that yeah. yeah yeah no he absolutely got it i yeah. mean it was his great quality as a critic that he had this kind of massive humanity really mm. you never knew what he'd like or what he wouldn't like but he 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 approached everything with this kind of complete open-mindedness and and kind of a willingness to be absolutely sort of skewered by things yes when he when he got something he he wrote about it in a way that was very passionate and brought in audiences. I mean, yeah. in the theatre, you know, the Telegraph really matters. It's a it big does. review for a play. Yeah. And he was he was terrific. Yeah, no, he was great. There is the lyric, have you been involved in the lyric one? The lyric one is um, directed by Claire Lizzymore, who I think might be the first woman. Many women have directed oh, have the they? play. Oh, have they? Sorry. Uh, on the abroad. Okay, but not um, first woman any. I think <laughs> well, certainly the first London yeah. one. Um, I definitely wanted a woman to direct it this time round. And so Rachel O'Riordan, a lyric, and I talked a lot about female directors for this play now. 
and Claire was at the top of our lists um, because I'd seen her production of Bull at the Young Vic and she's a writer as well she's she's a playwright as well as a director and I'd never met her but I just thought that production was sensational it was yeah great actors Um, Sam Troughton was in it and I thought oh it'd be great if we could get Sam Troughton and we have got Sam Troughton Um, and I've, so I spent a, a lot of time talking to Claire about the play. Um, very inquisitive, very thorough, much more thorough than I ever was. <laughs> right. in, in terms of interrogating... <laughs> Presumably you inter- knew it. Interrogating the beats of the play and why does she yeah. say this and why, why did you structure it that way? And um, I was, She's um, really, really thorough Um which I sort of like. I like theoretically, but but having but having to really try and remember why this and not that is very hard for me. Yeah. Do you um, think it'd be different? Do you think it'll be? I think she, yeah. Well, the invitation was take a big swipe at this play. Right. Do it how no one else has done it before. Um, do it. Um, do it how you want to do it, Claire. Yeah. And. So she's come up with this incredible, uh, incredible sounding production. I mean, I haven't seen a, I haven't been in rehearsals. I mean, I'm, I'm really must go. Um, I've got an open invitation. I just haven't, I don't know. I've just enjoyed letting her get on with it. I get um, rehearsal reports and she texts me every day about what we did and this. She's brilliant. Do you generally... Sorry, I'm, I'm going back slightly now um, as sort of pulling it to the end, but do you generally read critics or, or, or not? How, what's your own view of critics? Oh, I, I do read critics, and I read them once very quickly. Um, I hard skim, get, get the feeling of what they've said, but don't read it more than once because otherwise a phrase might stick in your head. Right. Um, unless it's just unless it's just relentless five star praise, in which case I might indulge myself, <laughs> read it a couple of times. <laughs> but I have a different attitude as a playwright to director. When I'm the director of something th- that I've either written or haven't written, I read the reviews quite thoroughly because I think probably some of the actors will have read them. Right. And I want to be able to say when some sad actor approaches me guiltily in a backstage corridor. I read the review in the Times and it said that I'm a terrible, terrible actor. <laughs> uh, I want to be able to say, I read it too, it didn't say that. <laughs> right. It said you were terrible in that particular moment. Uh, Not that you're a terrible actor. Or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. I want to be up on it in order to provide as much sucker as I can. I feel it's my responsibility as a director. As a playwright, if I'm not the director, uh, as I say, I'll, I'll, I'll skim it. I'll go, okay, he didn't like it. She liked it. He quite liked it. Okay, we're sort of heading for this. Well, I think we should probably start to wind up now. And But um, you've been thinking about critics generally, haven't you? Because you've actually... We're going to come back and discuss this just another day. We're going to invite you back. But um, you can give a little taster for your new film, which is actually yes. called... It's called The Critic. So um, perfect. <laughs> it's a film set in London in 1934 
sort of some of it in theatre land um, and it's about a much feared but highly respected theatre critic uh, played by Ian McKellen um, who's coming to the end of his career and is desperately clinging on to his job trying to um, and a ambitious actress uh, played by Gemma Arterton who, who sort of idolises him and wants his favour but he thinks she's a terrible, terrible actress <gasps> and it's about a strange dance between this critic, this actress and there are various love affairs in it as well but yes, I've been thinking a lot about the role of the critic the role of the critic mm. Have I you... mean, some of my best friends are critics um, but it, I find it such a strange thing to do, to go and judge. That's what I found out, actually. Uh, there's this little speech in the film. Um, I didn't know this, that from the Latin criticus, via the Greek criticus, via the Greek crites, a judge. Yeah. So it sources a judge. Yeah. Um, and I didn't know that. I was pleased to find it. Yeah, judgment implies wisdom. I hope sometimes I also show that. But, well, but yeah, it I, is I, odd to judge. What do you think? I mean, now it's this sort of judge slash messenger. You know, because because of the journalistic element. Yeah. You're messaging out to the world. No. Not, not a well, helpful contribution. Yes. Everyone's I mean, gone I think the thing, <laughs> the thing that's changed radically since Closer is that everyone's a critic now. Yeah. Um, because of the internet. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. there are many, many more reviews out there. Um, obviously, the major newspapers are, are what you want, but it's all part of the critical firmament. Yeah. Um, in the olden days, you'd re there were ten reviews you read. Yes. Um, um, and now, that now, if you really want to um, kill yourself, there's a hundred out there, yeah. possibly yeah. a thousand, a million if you include Twitter. Yeah. So you, you're suddenly, wow, do I yeah. really want to put a hashtag? And actually it would be much harder now for an actress to decide to cultivate one particular critic because there isn't that same kind yeah. of, um, th that nexus of power has altered really. which is Absolutely. Um, but I love the idea that in the olden, well I don't love it, but it was the case that a critic could make or break you. Yeah. Um, Hobson, Tynan. Yeah. Um, that's still the case on Broadway, though, isn't it? Yes, but it's not the name of the critic that breaks it. It's the name of the newspaper. Right. Whereas okay. the English tradition has been for some great, always a man, a great man of the theatre yeah. Yeah. to judge and say, this person can write, this person can't. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, thank goodness, I think, on the whole, that things are changing. Patrick, it's been really, really lovely talking to you. And I hope you will come back and talk more when we've all seen your film. Thank you. I, w I will definitely come back. Thank <laughs> you. And so that's really it from this episode. Episode 8. <laughs> As the actress said to the critic. 
<laughs> with me, Sarah Crompton. And me, Nancy Carroll. Thank you ever so much for listening. <laughs>